Father. We need you this morning more than ever, God. We, we thank you for the words that we were able to just cry out to you. God, you are so good. And that you are, Father, despite of anything that we're struggling with today, that we're struggling with this week. Father, there are people here, and God, there are addictions that need to be broken, and there are relationships that need to be healed, marriages that need to be strengthened. Wayward children, they need to be brought back. Financial burdens that need, I need your help. Or just someone that's here and they're just not feeling your presence today, God. It's no coincidence that you brought them. So, Father, we just come before you and we ask, empty us. Holy Spirit, come down in this place and take over. I have nothing to offer you, God, but just willingness to come before you. So, God, I pray use right now, use this time to exalt yourself, to magnify yourself, to encourage your people. Breathe fresh air into our souls this morning. so that we may be the vessels that you call us to be. We pray this all in the powerful name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Priscilla, you can stay up here if you want. That's fine. Just keep playing. I'm going to take you back a few years. It's 3 a.m., August 24th, 1992. And I remember my parents rushing into our bedroom, and I was, I wake to the, to the sounds of my parents yelling, get in our bedroom closet now. Four boys in one bedroom jump out of the bed, and we run into my parents' closet. And in a small closet with a mattress over our heads is where eight of us, my parents, the four boys, and my grandparents, will spend the next most horrific and frightening five hours of our existence. I was 14 years old, and, and, and I can still remember to this day, I can hear the roar of the winds. I can hear the sound of the glass breaking, the roof tearing apart. I, I can still remember in that little closet, leaning against the wall, and the walls rocking you back and forth, and water rushing in from the baseboards, underneath the baseboards. And then I look at Dad, and, and Dad is holding, holding the door as hard as he can. He's holding the door, and he looks at my mom, and I'll never forget that look. Because he looks at my mom, and, and, and he shakes his head. And his face went from shock to doubt to hopelessness. It, it was just a matter of time before the walls of that little closet would be coming off. And I remember making this covenant, because that's what you do. You make a covenant with God, right? So I remember my family making a covenant to a God we didn't believe. And we try to make a covenant by telling him, if you save us from here, God, if you just keep us safe, keep us alive, we will worship you for the rest of our lives. Only to find ourselves later breaking that commitment over and over and over again. It's by the grace of God and the grace of God alone that today, I, I, I can say this, but several hours later, we, we come out of this, we walk out of the closet to a sight that can never be erased from my mind. 
As I walk out of the closet and I look up, sections of the roof were gone. Walls that were standing at one point were no longer there. What we used to call our home was now a house that was split in half. But what took our knees from under us with great weeping was the sight when you walk out of this closet and your bedroom wall and windows are gone and what you see is endless miles of destruction. Endless miles of a flattened city, a city in great trouble and disgrace. Hurricane Andrew, I was a part of that, and it struck the city of Miami as a Category 5. I think Richard might have mentioned some of these hurricanes some, some time ago, but as a Category 5, it, it permanently impacted the lives of those that lived there. The days and the weeks and the months that followed were hard and painful times, let me tell you. There were endless, endless hours we spent clearing out debris, sorting out through things, Fixing, trying to salvage anything that we could. Many hours of, of counseling, emotional counseling provided by neighboring county schools for parents, for students. And, and many tears that were shed, hopeless tears that were shed as we would say, will we ever have a normal life again? It would take many resources in a community deeply broken over their condition to rebuild their city. Today, almost 27 years later, the city of Miami has, has physically been rebuilt and the damage, from the damage of that August morning. But this morning, I want to take you back even further than 1992. And I want to look at another city that was found in ruins, a city that was in trouble and in disgrace. The more I study and prepare for this message... The more intrigued and the more my eyes were open to God's theology of the city. And, and I started realizing cities are a part of God's strategic plan to reach the ends of the earth. In fact, it's really a storyline of the Bible. If we go back, we can see that everything began in the, in the Garden of Eden. And, and it was a beautiful place, and, and, and God said, Adam and Eve, you, you go and multiply, and you go make lots of babies, and go fill and rule over the earth and the city, and make my name great among the earth. And, and, and so the storyline continues as we see God's strategic heart for the city, beginning from the beginning. But then we, we see that it was temporarily lost due to sin, and, and after Eden was temporarily lost due to sin... Um, God chose to dwell among his people, and originally it was in the wilderness, out of the desert, in a tent called the tabernacle. And if you remember back in Old Testament, around the tabernacle were cities of tents that would surround the tabernacle where people would come and worship the Lord. Later, God would move his dwelling place out of the city of tents, out of the tabernacle, and into a, a city called Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is mentioned almost 1,000 times in Scripture. And, and scholars have, have translated the word Jerusalem to a piece of God, city of God, peace, peace, possession of peace. It's the city of God's peace. It's where God would choose or where God chose to set up his dwelling place in this city and where the people of God would come and be a display to the nations of what a transformed life and a transformed city by God is to look like. Then we jump right ahead into the New Testament. And we look at Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is talking. And he's, he's saying, you, my followers, you are now the city of God. A city on a hill. You're the lamp. You're the light of God to reveal the person of Jesus to the nations. Whole point. God has a sovereign, beautiful plan for us and for the city of Spartanburg. And we are to be the city of God in the city of Spartanburg. But we have a major challenge ahead of us. It doesn't take much to just look around and see that 
Because of the fall, we're under sin in the city. This is a place that is broken and restless. This is a place with, with sexual deviancy and a place where the consequences of sin abounds in addictions and crime and poverty and hunger and so on. And the reality is that we see families feel the weight of that brokenness. Marriages feeling the weight of that brokenness. Our school systems feeling the weight of that brokenness. Our foster system feeling the weight of that brokenness. We are all feeling the weight of this brokenness. So yes, whole point, yes, we need to be aware, we need to be compassionate and missionally engaged in helping with human brokenness in our city. But we need to understand that our main objective as a church is not to fix poverty. Our main objective as a church is not to fix homelessness or hunger or crime or drug addiction. Our main objective as a church in the city of God is to be a display of his splendor and declare the greatness of Jesus Christ. John Piper recently said at a conference, if your life is marked by compassion for all suffering, except eternal suffering, you are a defective lover. The greatest way that we can love our city is to be a place where the seeds of hope and renewal can flourish. But this morning, rather than giving you some strategy or some plan of, of how we're going to fix our city, I want to instead focus on the heart of those God uses to rebuild a city. And if we're going to be a church that surrenders to his leading and impacting our city, then we need to beg God, come before God to help us be a people that are willing to look at a broken world Willing to respond to risk with bold faith. People that are willing to be disciplined in connecting passion with strategy. And people that will not be surprised by the challenges of the mission. This morning, I invite you to look with me at the great city, one of the great city changers in the Bible, a man called Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, let me give you a little, let me bring you up to up to pace here, some little background, some little history. The book of Nehemiah takes place after the Babylonians attacked the Israelites and, and they destroyed the wall that enclosed Jerusalem. And this humiliating defeat made God's people incredibly vulnerable. The Babylonians, they were an idol-worshiping army and, and they had entered Jerusalem and its holy temple and they tore down all of its fortifications and, and, and they burned the gates and they hauled many gods people, many of God's people into exile and slavery. See, life in Jerusalem was no longer secure. God's people could not worship together, and the handful who remained lived in shame and poverty. The situation seemed hopeless. Now here comes Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was just a normal working man, just like you, working person, just like you. He's not a priest. He's not some sort of pastor. He's not a professional paid servant of the Lord. This is a normal working man who happens to be a man full of God. And although he's not mentioned in the New Testament, he may be one of the greatest leaders of the, of the Bible. At this point, where we're going to start, Nehemiah has been in the Babylonian exile with the Israelites for approximately 140 years. And, and his job is as a cupbearer for the king of Persia. And what that means is that he samples the drink, the wine, and the food to check for poison. Then one day, he's doing his thing, and Hen and I, one of his brothers from Judah, shows up with some men. So Nehemiah sees his brother and, and, and begins to wonder and ask and is concerned and, and he questions them about the, the, the people of his community and, and, and about the city of Jerusalem. And here's where we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1. Verse 3 through 4 says, they said to me when he asked, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. 
When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, the first characteristic of a city changer is their willingness to look at a broken world. We have to be willing to look at a broken world. We cannot turn our heads, we cannot turn our face to the brokenness in our city. See, Nehemiah was deeply broken over the condition of his city and the condition of his people, and and he becomes so bothered by it that it caused him to weep, to pray, to fast. But we got to ask, why such a reaction? Why such a burden? Well, the, the, the walls, the broken walls of Jerusalem represented two things. The first thing was a vulnerable city. Okay? In this period of time of human history, gates and walls were very important. We got to get that. They were very important, if not more important than, than an army. All right? See, without walls, a city could not control its own affairs. And it would really be dictated by outside forces. Without walls and without gates, a city would be a, at the mercy of any group that was coming through. Any violent outside force could just come in and take what they wanted without them being challenged. Proverbs 25, 28 tells, tells us a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. They can't control their own affairs and unfortunately left in the hands of others. See, this is kind of hard for us to comprehend. This is kind of hard for us to get and wrap our, our, our hands around. So, so let, let, me, let me take you back to Hurricane Andrew. Let me take you back to the story to give you a better picture. After Hurricane Andrew, the next wave of fear that took over the community was the many sleepless nights due to looters, looting. So people were in survival mode. You had no protection. Phone lines were down. Cell phones were not popular. So what that meant was there was no 911 to call. If you heard someone in your house, whatever was left of your home that you were trying to protect, it was up to you. You had nothing to help you or defend you. Now, let me ask you this question. Put yourself in that scenario. Put yourself in a city without wall, without protection. And let me ask you, what flourishes in an environment where there's broken walls? Violence. Anarchy. What happens is the default position of the human heart begins to work itself out in all sorts of horrific and awful scenarios. That's a city with broken walls. Now, the second thing it represented was the heart issue of the people. This was the deeper issue. Nehemiah knew that the fractured state of Jerusalem was not the way it was supposed to be. And brokenness became the status quo for over 140 years there. And in verse 5 through 11... He begins to pour his heart out in confession of God. And we see in the next verse, in verses 6 and 7, says, I confess the sins with Israelite. I, I'm sorry. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. This is important because Nehemiah stepped into the grief and into the pain and into the hurt of Jerusalem's shame and made a heartfelt confession before God. He repented for his sin, his family's sin, the sin of the city. He owned it. He said, I've contributed to the condition of our city. Uh, Trust me. Miami, Florida, 
the city and the county I lived in at the age of 14 was pretty much a pagan place. And I can say that because I roamed those, those streets. I played in those streets. I knew most of my neighbors. And I contributed to the darkness of 122nd Avenue in Miami. Nehemiah owned the condition of his city. But why? We've got to keep asking the why. Why? See, Nehemiah recognized that biblically, the reality, the biblical reality that people needed to be restored before the city could be rebuilt. I'll say that again. The reason why the heart issue was so, such a burden for him, the reason why he went to confession before God was because he recognized the biblical reality that people needed to be restored before the city can be rebuilt. People themselves had to be changed before Jerusalem could be fixed. See, a broken wall reflected the condition of their relationship with God. It represented their lack of desire to change their brokenness. God wanted a rebuilt city and rebuilt lives, but they were content with a broken city and broken lives. He was looking at a group who no longer wanted to walk with their creator, and that, that's what birthed a burden in Nehemiah's heart. So, so let me ask you, Hope Point, let me, let's ask ourselves, as we look around our city, what breaks your heart? We got to get there. We got to get there. What breaks your heart? What has God put in front of you that you can't ignore? Because until, until our hearts are broken for that situation and for people around us, we'll contribute and maintain that status quo. We need to be people that are willing to look and be burdened over our broken world. The second characteristic of a city changer is their willingness to respond to risk with bold faith. Willing to respond to risk with bold faith. We, we, we begin chapter 2 with Nehemiah's heart so burdened that the king notices that something is wrong. Something is wrong with his cupbearer because we see what happens here in chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the kin, king, and I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And then Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. See, Nehemiah knew that he had to do something about Jerusalem, but the fear of asking the king was real. It was real. The Persian king was a man that was opposed to the nation of Israel, held him captive. So the, the fear was real. We, we all have fears, but the fear was real. This also meant that, that Nehemiah would, would, would have to leave his cushy job. If you think about it, it was a pretty nice setup. I mean, if you're the cupbearer for the king, don't you think people know that there's a cupbearer for the king? So, I mean, would they really try to poison the king? You were pretty set. You were set. He had a cushy job in a palace, and he would have to risk it all to go home to an old, unwalled city. Risk it all. Listen, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something to go love on our city. He would, he would put his career, his comfort, and life on the line to do what God was calling him to do. In Nehemiah 2, chapter 4 and 5, it says, The king said to me, what is it that you want? 
Then I prayed to the God of heaven. I love that. Because we see that throughout the whole book of Nehemiah. He's put in a situation, bam, he goes to the Lord. Prayer, then action. Prayer, then action. What a great example. Prayer, then action. He says, then I pray to the God of heaven and I answer the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Man, the hand of God continues, though, because we see in verses 7 and 8 that, that he doesn't only boldly ask for time off. He, he then goes and tells the king, hey, I'm going to need a letter for protection and, and maybe a letter to give to, to, to authority so maybe I can get some supplies to do the, the rebuilding. So he faces his fear with prayer, and he faces his fear by boldly moving forward with God. And then verse 8 says, And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. I love it. And then in verses 11 through 16, he heads out to inspect the walls of Jerusalem. At this point, he hasn't told anybody yet what his plans are. He didn't know what to expect when he got there. And then he's there, and in verse 17, this happens. Then I said to them, he gathers a group of men, he gathers a group of people, and he says, you see the trouble we're in? Remember again, now he's now in the city. He gathers the people and says, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king has said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Whole point, what do you do when God places a massive burden in your heart? We get bold with God and we get bold with men. When God places a burden in our heart, we get bold with God and we claim who we are and whose we are and we get bold with men. Nehemiah prayed. And then he acted and found help in unlikely places. Just at the right time, at the right moment, the king personally just said, you have my permission for this trip. And I'm going to provide the resources for you. God had perfectly positioned Nehemiah to make a difference. It was the sovereign hand of God. Nehemiah could have said, you know what, I prayed about it, now God will do it. Let go and let God. I see the problem. I'm going to pray about it. God, you're in control. Man, I hate that that happened. We'll pray about it. Nehemiah said, I'm praying and I'm going. I'm praying and I'm going. When God says go, we get bold with God and we'll get bold with people. God could have handled the work on his own. God didn't need Nehemiah. God doesn't need us. God could handle the work on his own, but he chooses to work through our obedience. Look at Proverbs 16.3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. God establishes the plans of doers. I love what Hudson Taylor said. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. We've seen that one before. 
but it's just juicy. I mean, it's just good. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. If we're going to be city changers in Spartanburg, we must be willing to respond to risk with bold faith. Which leads us to number three. We must be willing to be disciplined in connecting passion with strategy. Listen, we're not designed to bear burdens alone. We're not. That's why every time you hear, hear, you've been hearing us talk to you about community, life groups, community groups, we, we are not designed to bear the burdens of our city alone. That is another reason why we partner with so many different local ministries in Spartanburg. 15 different local ministries that we partner doing different things because we're not called to carry the burden of the city alone. And we see the brokenness in this world. When we see it, the solutions may seem overwhelming. And the reason why is because a God-sized vision is simply too big for just one of us. It's too big. God gave Nehemiah a desire to see Jerusalem's wall rebuilt, but Nehemiah did not complete the task on his own. He didn't. When we start chapter 3 of Nehemiah, what we see is chapter 3 consists of 32 verses. And in those 32 verses, there's a list of 43 different groups of people that helped build and complete the wall. Some historians recorded the wall to be 15 feet thick and perhaps 12 feet high. Rebuilding the wall was a big job. And the way the people came together to rebuild that wall is a great example for how the church was designed to function. Some completed large portions. Others completed small repairs. But everyone shared the burden in some way. This is the example that we must emulate in our city. But once again, once again, the church's primary role is not to beautify the city by seeing what we can do to patch it. That's not our call. Our main objective is to preach the gospel to a dying and hopeless city. Effective gospel preaching is explaining with our words what we demonstrate with our lives. I love the way, once again, John Piper says it. People only see Jesus in us if they hear about him from us. There is no gospel without words. We want our city to be one of joy, just as Nehemiah did. He wanted to help realize the promise of Jeremiah 33.9, where God says, Then this city will bring me renowned joy praise and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Listen, that is the ultimate outcome of, re- of rebuilding work. That is the ultimate outcome of God bringing his people together for the purpose of rebuilding his city. The ultimate outcome is God glorified and his name magnified and the nation seen and praising him. That is why we come together. Leads us to number four and our final, our final characteristics. It says, will not be surprised. So city changers will not be surprised by the challenges to the mission. I love this. City changers will not be surprised by the challenges to the mission. Submission to God's calling. Submission to his calling. If we're going to submit to his calling, begins with a renewed emphasis on the great urgency of God's plan for the world. But why is it so urgent? Why? Why is it so urgent? And the reason it's urgent is it's because it's an infinite Importance. You, you heard Richard mention this, and he had a great quote that I stole from him. 
Because the urgency comes from infinite importance. And he said, I hope I got it right, if Jesus is not the Son of God, then it is unimportant to obey anything he said. But if Jesus is the Son of God, then it is infinitely important to obey everything he said. We must constantly remind ourselves of the fact that we live in a world laced with hopelessness and overwhelmed by godlessness. That's the reality. It's a world of distraction, a world of deceit. But even more alarming than that, it's a world with intentional attempts to pervert the church into being passive recipients of grace that has no impact in its surrounding. It does a great job of pulling us away from our purpose. Our God-given purpose. Listen, if we want to make a difference for his kingdom, if we're going to surrender to make a difference for his kingdom, when he moves us to a new location, if we believe that, if we're going to say it, then be ready because opposition will come. The enemy has a passion just like we do. The enemy has a burden just as we do. And his burden is to come to kill, steal, and destroy the work of God in this city. Every different maker faces opposition. Nehemiah experienced it. And experienced resistance firsthand. The critics showed up in Nehemiah chapter 4. And as the wall started going up. And they continued taunting in Nehemiah. And, and they continued telling him, just, you know, you, you're not worth it. You're not going to be able to accomplish it. And this happened all the way from chapter 4. You see it again in chapter 6. Let me give you a little taste of it. Chapter 4 verse 2. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Here's the enemy. The voice. The voice of the enemy. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the, those heaps of rubble? Burn as they are? And then in chapter 6, the pagans' mockery just turns a lot into a plot of attack. And, and, and it says, send me this message. So he, here Nehemiah is talking about the enemy sent him a message. And the message said, come let us meet together in one of the villages. But they were scheming to harm me, he says. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Overcoming opposition it's about realizing who we are and what we've been called by God to do. That has to be the focus. And just as Nehemiah refused to come off the wall, we must not be distracted from the work that God has called us to do. See, lack of confidence in the power of God's work is toxic to proper missional engagement. I repeat it, lack of confidence in the power of God's work is toxic to proper missional engagement. When we lose sight of who we are and whose we are, we threaten to become believers with a comfy couch religion wandering aimlessly in our community. Let me I'll land the plane and wrap it up here. Let me encourage you by reminding you that what God has done in the past is essential to what he'll do in the future. And when God gives you a burden over something, it's because he wants you to be a part of the solution. So let me ask you. You, let me ask myself, Hope Point, what breaks 
your heart over the condition of your city. Listen, I, I, I completely understand that not everyone is going to play the same role when it comes to reaching our city. But you each have a role. We all have a role in this as the body of Christ. The roles look different, but we've been assigned a role. And if you're here today and you just, you're like, Ronnie, I, I just don't have that burden. I, not, not because you don't want it, just like, I want it. I just don't know how to, don't feel guilty about that. This is, not a, this is not a message to guilt you into a burden. God births the burden. All we're calling you to do, all God is calling us to do is to look, be willing to look at the condition of a broken world. All he's calling us to do is that when we see it, maybe we run to him and pray and say, God, this is not right. This is not the way you wanted it. What do you want me to do about it? What's my role? What's my part as the body of Christ? And when God speaks, be willing to respond to the risk with bold faith. That's what we're called to do. And when you take that step, our job as a church, my job as your missions pastor is, I want to be able to provide platforms of engagement where you can strategically be disciplined in connecting passion with that strategy. That's what I like to do. Ask, how can I get involved? How can I get involved? And then finally, as we continue to grow and as we continue to step in faith and as we continue to trust God, pray and trust believe God will equip us not to be surprised by the challenges of the mission. Listen, our desire is to grow and equip you in how we as a church can be the paint that makes the invisible Christ visible in our city. And one of the ways that we do that is to, through one of our local partnerships here, one of the ways that, that you can step forward in prayer is through the opportunity to engage with Sidewalk Hope Ministry. Let's watch this video, and then I'll tell you a little bit about it. Hi, this is Chip from Sidewalk Hope. And we are out here this morning at Barksdale Apartments. And this is our newest site, and we are so excited about starting here. Uh, we'll be coming out here on Mondays at 4 o'clock, and we would just love for you to be a part, on, come in on the ground floor and work with us. It is so exciting to see the children on the first few months, especially when you start a new site. And we really could use your help. There's so many apartments that we need to visit. And there's so many children here who don't have a way to go to church. And we'll be bringing church here so that they can experience God's love. They can hear Bible stories. They can be loved on and just learn who they are in Christ. This is a great opportunity for Hope Point to really jump in and love this community. This apartment complex is right across only two streets over from the new church building. So we'll be here before the church is here, and then that will be a great opportunity for people to come in and minister because we would have already started building relationships with the children and their families here. Some of you may wonder what you would do if you came out as a volunteer. You would come out with us about four o'clock and help us get the children, encourage them to come, and you could sit on the tarp with the children if you're comfortable doing that. Um, you can just help us with setup and breakdown. We always need help with that. We need help giving out prizes, giving out snacks, making their to-go snack bags. So there's endless things you can do to help us, and there's something for everybody. Jesus said to go and make disciples, and so if you would like to join in that, please just call me, come talk to me. We'll have a table in the back, 
of the church where you can get more information and sign up. And you can always go to our website, which is sidewalkhope.org. So we look forward to partnering with you and starting to make this community a part of the Hope Point ministry. Thanks. That was cute, huh? <laughs> Dean, you're a freak. That's awesome. He's so talented. Praise God. Some of you may be new and uh, don't, don't know about Sidewalk Hope. Uh, when you walk outside today, there's a yellow truck with a platform that's out. There's tables in the back. You see people around here, volunteers with yellow shirts and, and purple shirts. And Well, Sidewalk Hope is a ministry that was launched in 2015 to go and serve in the hardest places in Spartanburg, some of the hardest communities in Spartanburg. And they're there every week reaching about 200 children and families every week in three locations. And they're there and they take the truck and, and Chip Walters and her, her, her team of volunteers. Man, there's a lot of you. Praise God. They go out there every week, three different locations, and, and they share the gospel. They open this platform and they take church to a community that is not in the local church. A community that's dark. They're taking the light of Christ to a dark, dark place in our city. You have the opportunity to be involved. By the grace of God, in just a few months, he's going to be moving us and positioning us right by the community you heard, Barksdale. Barksdale will be located right behind us. And it's an opportunity for us to be the city of God in the city of Spartanburg. But we know, and we want to be careful, because with, with every strategy and every plan, we threaten to confine the power of the Holy Spirit. So we know that it must begin in prayer, sustain in prayer, and accomplish through prayer. So what we're going to do is Saturday, February the 23rd at 10 a.m., if you would like to be a part of doing prayer walking through that new location that will be for us, Barksdale, you can meet us at the parking lot of the new building on Asheville Highway, and at 10 a.m., Chip and her, Walters and her team will be there, and they'll have instructions for us. And all we're doing is we're just going to prayer walk for a little bit and just claim the name of Christ through that community. After that, then the next step will be they're needing minimum of 12 people to be involved. There's different ways you can be involved. You can teach. You can go and love on the kids. You can set up. You heard it all in the video. You can provide meals. For the discipleship classes. But on Monday, March the 11th, it was just changed. I think this says the 4th. But I was just told this morning that it's going to be the 11th. At 4 o'clock, Sawako will be launching in Barksdale. If you have any questions, if you just want more information, please don't leave today without, without going out there and talking to one of their volunteers. And at, at this moment, to close us out in prayer, what i like to do is call Robin Mankey up. And Robin serves as the president of the board for Sidewalk Hope. And let me tell you what a joy it is to see week by week what God is doing. The favor of God in this ministry. This is just one of the ways Today we highlight Sidewalk Hope, one of the ways that we can get involved in our city. So what I'd like to do is, again, I want to bring Robin up and I want to pray us out. But before you leave, please stop by and see if there's a way, if there's some information that you can take with you and start praying and start expecting God to do great things. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you. That your truth of the word are the promises that what you start, you will accomplish. I thank you that we can trust your perfect plan of redemption. I thank you, Father, that these children, the inner city, the problems, Father, 
They're yours before they're ours. And we know that you don't need us. But you glorify yourself through the obedience of your children. And as we come to you and, 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 and you break our hearts for the needs of our city and, and the needs of the nations, Father, we, we, we experience this great joy in you that cannot be experienced anywhere else. Father, we've been saved by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ to be a city on a hill. Father, there's someone here today probably, and maybe they don't, maybe they don't know you, but, but they're feeling something about this. They're, they're, they're feeling there's something in their heart that is saying something ain't right. It's not right. So, Father, if there's someone here today and you would glorify yourself by bringing them from darkness to light, God, would you do that? Please, we beg you, would you do that? Father, I pray for these children that are being ministered through this ministry. Broken homes, broken lives. But when you're out there and we see the smiles on their face and you see their little hands praying, they're longing to be loved by the Father. Our city longs to be loved by you. So help us to be faithful, God. That's all we're asking. All we can offer you is weakness, but our willingness. So we come before you and say, God, here we are. Send us. May we, may we go and grieve so that we can pray, we can give, we can go so that people may come to know you, Father. And so often burdens, Father, are created right on sight. So if there's someone here that has never been involved and does not have that burden, oh, Father, remove the guilt. But move their feet into action. Thank you that you were willing to move yours for us. Now glorify yourself in Barksdale and with this church. We pray this in Jesus' name.